Over the past couple of years, the labor shortage issue has only been amplified. In the food and beverage industry, the competition between employers on recruiting and retaining valuable employees is at an all-time high. You're probably wondering, can anything be done about this? Our guest today is Laurie Nickel from Meat and Poultry, Ontario. Laurie has worked in the food and beverage industry for over 30 years. Laurie really understands the industry and how food processors can approach the labor shortage issue. You are not going to want to miss today's episode. Companies aren't in a position where you're lucky to have a job here. Employees are going to decide where they want to work. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Farm to Fork podcast, brought to you by Carlisle Technology. Today's topic is on workforce issues in the food industry. Our guest today is Laurie Nickel from Meat and Poultry, Ontario. Laurie has an extensive background in the local Ontario food processing industry, and she really understands the workforce issues that our industry is currently facing. Laurie, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the association that you're representing? For sure, and thank you so much for this opportunity. I've spent my entire career in the meat and poultry industry, and I hate to put a number on that, but 35 years, of which 33 were with the Ontario Independent Meat Processors, what's called today Meat and Poultry Ontario. I was the former executive director. I was very fortunate last year to return to lead MPO's Workforce Development Project an area I've always been very passionate about and a file that I had to work off the corner of my desk. So very happy to talk to you about that today. That's great. Do you want to maybe give us a little bit of background on Meat and Poultry Ontario and kind of what they do in the industry and and what they've done kind of in the past? Because I know you've got, like you said, you know, over 30 years of industry experience and you've been with them for a long time. So Meat and Poultry Ontario is a not-for-profit trade organization. It was started 40 years ago. We represent independent businesses across Ontario involved in every stage of meat industry from harvesting right through to retail. I often laugh about when the local food movement took place or took hold, I should say, MPO has always been about local long before local was the new um, the new trend. We've been serving our local communities. They're located all across Ontario. These people are living and working in the communities they support. We also have associate members like Carlisle Technology that provides services and supplies to the industry. Lori, one of my favorite things about Meat and Poultry Ontario or the former OIMP is, you know, Carlisle Technology has been an associate member for a really long time. And, you know, when I first started with Carlisle, I got to meet all the team over it. That time it was called the OIMP. But it just seems like such a tight family, all of the organization and the different processors that are together. And I just really like that family aspect. And it seems like everybody's kind of there to support each other. And it's not like a competitive thing, but it's like almost one big family. And I really appreciate that aspect of Meat and Poultry Ontario. So how does Meat and Poultry Ontario help the local food industry with labor-related issues? We've been doing a number of things over the years. Last year, our conference was totally dedicated to workforce development. We've been involved in training. I believe Daphne, our technical director, uh, spoke about the food handler training courses that we've been offering for a number of years. We also conduct an annual labor survey. We've been advocating for changes on the temporary foreign worker program. And I guess most recently, the project that I was involved in that was really looking at developing an action plan with recommendations for moving forward on how we can address this labor crisis that we're facing. And we also looked at the issue of labor mobility. 
We put together a workforce industry advisory table. We looked at 12 companies across Ontario, varying size, varying types of businesses, and we met on a regular basis and we really took a look at what do we need to do to start addressing this issue. Some of the recommendations will require some additional resources, but the one that we certainly have moved forward on is the recent partnership with Food and Beverage Ontario on the Careers Now initiative. So we'll get into the career aspect of it in just a little bit, but taking a step back, Lori, can you set the stage for us regarding workforce issues? What sort of issues has the industry faced in the past? Labor shortage is a global issue, and it's across all sectors. If we look at the food and beverage manufacturing industry in Canada, there's over 7,600 companies. 50% of those are located in Ontario. 20% of them are meat and poultry companies. So if we put that in perspective, All of those companies are competing with every other sector experiencing labor shortages. And if we look at the um, statistics regarding 2021 labor market research by Food Processing Skills Canada, seven in 10 employers are facing recruitment and retention challenges. 75% of our meat processors are experiencing labor shortages, which affects their ability to fulfill the customer's orders And it also is significantly impacting their ability to expand. When we look at what lies ahead, Food Processing Skills Canada noted we need 32,000 workers to remain status quo, and we're going to need 56,000 employees by 2025. Those numbers are astounding. But if we want to grow one of the largest sectors, we have to look at ways how to attract and retain our future workforce. Yeah, I just, I think that there's, like you said, you know, kind of a huge gap there. I mean, I was down in, I think it was Tennessee back in September, and there was a bit of a roundtable discussion with a bunch of the processors, uh, you know, from the southern United States that were there. And they all said kind of basically the same thing, you know, just issues with the workforce and even competing with one another. And, you know, they get into a lot of the issues that they talked about where, you know, one plant is just taking from the next plant and they have a lot of people that are doing signing bonuses. So people will sign with a certain plant, take the signing bonus, then go somewhere else. And it just, it seems like it's just, a disaster almost. And I'm like you said, I'm sure workforce issues aren't anything new to the industry, but it's interesting to see how COVID has kind of, you know, magnified that and made it even worse. But you you raised an interesting point. I would say historically meat processors were challenged with that, you know, the poaching from one company to another and but that's not the case because now they're competing with every other sector. If you look in the areas of let's take Brampton, where that huge Amazon warehouse is. So every meat processing facility in around that, or food processing facility, is competing with the wages and the hours of work that are available. And you you nailed it. Signing bonuses are big. And our, you know, the meat industry is offering signing bonuses, but sometimes you can't compete with some of those large corporations. And I even think, like, when I think of the, the plant floor, I mean, it can be a difficult environment at times where it can be cold and wet and, you know, loud and noisy. And you think about, you know, if you're competing with other companies that aren't in the industry, like you mentioned Amazon, I'd imagine their warehouses are warm and dry and, you know, just a totally different environment. So that makes it even more difficult probably for food processors to kind of compete in that sort of a marketplace. 
Well, and that's where we need to do a better job of you were right on, you know, those environment conditions are not always, you know, when you compare them to someone else, but you got to accentuate the positive pieces of this industry has been recession proof. Many of these are family run businesses. So it's that whole culture of working as part of a team. You mentioned it earlier about uh, MPO. And I think that that's where you know, we attract those companies as members because that's the philosophy that um, that we run by. And I think the recession-proof thing is a great point. I mean, I'm not directly part of the food industry in a sense that, you know, I don't work on the plant floor, but even, you know, the fact that I work for Carlisle Technology, that was a big thing for me when I was looking around for careers was everybody needs food all the time. And this is a place that has security over the long term, no matter what goes on outside. And I think COVID was a great example of that. You know, when you had a lot of companies really struggling to keep their doors open, the food industry in general, you know, that was a huge year for us from Carlisle Technologies perspective, you know, because the food industry is booming. And the same would go for COVID impacted different um, components, but for the meat processors, they shifted some of the production because of the loss of the food service market, but they were supplying a lot more independent retailers because people were eating at home and they were spending a little more money. And I can only speak to the meat budget, but they were spending on um, meat and poultry. Laurie, when I've spoken to processors, there seems to be an increased interest in automation due to the labor shortage issue. Have you seen that as well? And if so, what sort of impact will that have on the long term? So I'm going to start with, in general, Canada lags behind in automation. You know, one of the project I worked on, um, I looked at Danish Crown in Denmark. They started automating 20 years ago. They have an automated ham boning. They use robots to sort meat cuts, pick and pack shipments, and stack boxes. The poultry industry over the years have also been automating. When COVID hit, and if you look at a typical meat processing facility, a six-foot segregation was very difficult um, to do. So if we look at automation, we can look at some lines of how you can reduce the number of people required. But for smaller companies, there's significant investment required in automating, and they're older buildings, which makes it even more challenging to retrofit. If you can, studies show that processing companies that have aggressively pursued automation, they're reducing costs, waste, and they've improved product quality. I know that one of our speakers at the conference uh, talked about the fear of the existing workforce that, you know, they'll be replaced with automation. And in fact, that's not the case. They could be redeployed into another area. That's one of the benefits of the facilities being able to to change their day-to-day operations and makes it more exciting for employees. It's funny you mentioned that. We actually recently did a podcast with Hantman. We were absolutely talking about automation. And I think earlier on, there was this misconception that automation and certain areas of the processing facility was going to replace your human capital, but it only reallocates them to different areas. And that's a sort of a way you can reinvest back into the business. So for example, instead of paying an operator, you know, $40,000 a year to wrap pallets, and you can invest that money into a palletizing robot. And then by saving that cost, that will pay for you know, the long-term investment of that automation. And then that guy can be reallocated doing a more uh, you know, ubiquitous task that isn't as redundant as simply just wrapping a skid. So I think that's, that's a very interesting point. 
And if you think of it from an employer perspective, they're going to attract different people in terms of attracting the youth to come into this sector when all we've talked about is it's very hard uh, labor intense. That's not true anymore. So if you look at the robotics, if you look at the, the scientific component of it, the food safety, the data analytics, you mentioned handmen and, and different pieces of equipment, all that computerized reporting, well, even your own company, that's a whole different sector attracting people to our meat plants. I think that generations coming out of colleges and universities, they're looking for those kind of more tech-enabled industries. And so the more that the, the meat industry moves towards automation and tech enablement, then it's going to attract those younger talents because they're going to want to be interested. They might not want to be, like Joe said, wrapping pallets or packing boxes. But if you do that with automation, then you can attract them with other sort of things like you know maintaining that automation or, like you said, looking at the data analytics of it all or doing other things that are maybe more in their wheelhouse. I would also say you said a point earlier about how, you know, smaller processors have a hard time adopting automation and and I've seen that firsthand too. I know, you know, everybody thinks budget right out of the gate, but you know, you made a point that even retrofitting these older facilities, I know when we try to go into, you know, some smaller processors with older facilities, that's the biggest issue we have is just the fact that they don't necessarily have all the space to adopt conveyor lines and, you know, the robotics and all that sort of a thing. And so I think that can be a tricky aspect because it becomes not just adopting the technology, but also expanding the footprint of their plant and doing a big construction project to accommodate it as well, which sometimes can become, you know, too much for that company to absorb. Any new builds would be looking at that, I'm uh, certain of it. Absolutely. So kind of piggybacking off of Andy's point there, how can a food processor is looking for help approach recruiting new employees? So we're in a new era, and I think it speaks to our earlier discussion on, uh, you know, the global issues for the labor force. Companies aren't in a position where they, you know, you're lucky to have a job here. We are in a employee are going to decide where they want to work. And I think part of that is that we need to look at developing better work culture within our businesses. We need to make sure that we're showing that we value the employees. And we had a great speaker at the conference that talked about being the best leader you can be. And you lead by example. If we look at some of the job postings out there, we need to do a better job at selling what it means to work for the company. Beyond the compensation you're offering, what are some of the, you can look at vacation and benefits, but you know what are some of the other things? What are the training opportunities that you're providing? What are some of the employee discounts that you're providing? There's the little things in that culture, that social interaction. An employee needs to feel respected within the team that they're working with. I honestly couldn't agree more. I think oftentimes, too, whoever is even creating the job posting, whether it be a hiring manager or someone within HR, kind of goes for the bare minimum, kind of along the lines you were talking about. So the compensation, paid time off, benefits, and then even within the company, I've seen, too, at some processing facilities where really the only sort of recognition could be like a pizza day or a barbecue. But I think that the company heads and the leadership need to go a bit above and beyond, you know, that just bare minimum aspect and really show that you know you are valued as a worker and you are integral to the entire cog of the operation because without the bottom line without you as the operators working day in and day out really nothing would get accomplished and um, that's not going to be driving up you know basically our strategy and growth for the future 
I think the other thing that we need to pay attention to is when we're posting those job ads, make sure, yes, you're you're right about who's doing it, whether it's who's who's designing the ad, but it also needs to match what happens on day one when they arrive. If you are posting a job for a specific role within that company, make sure when they show up that that's the job that they're receiving because we've found too many times they advertise for a meat cutter. And if sanitation is a considerable component of that role, which is important, they need to know that (laughs) so that when they show up, they're not just realizing that they're not just cutting meat. How have you seen processors adopt these sort of strategies? Like I know, you know, the food industry can be a little bit old school in some respects when it comes to this sort of a thing. Have you seen some pushback from employers to really, you know, embrace this mentality or has it been received with open arms because the need is so great to bring in new employees? If we relate it to the food safety culture, I speak of a workforce culture. It's going to take time. We haven't killed anybody. Why do we need these regulations? Well, we also have that. We've always done it this way. The companies that are going to succeed in the future are the ones that are going to embrace things like, and I know that it's a line production, but there has to be some flexibility, you know, an earlier start time, a later start time. Some of the things that companies are doing currently are helping them to not only attract, but retain those employees. So how should the industry be thinking about recruitment for future generations that aren't in the workforce yet? So some of the things that you mentioned earlier, the signing bonuses, employee referral programs is something that companies are looking at. One of the neat things we saw recently, the virtual tours when the industry was having to hire during COVID and not necessarily having people into the plant for interviews, you know, they were doing virtual tours of the plant. Certainly it has become a part of a hiring process where they actually take potential candidate through a plant tour. Some of the new avenues that companies need to be looking at is certainly persons with disabilities. Discoverability Network has some incentives for hiring in those groups. And also, you know, it was interesting through our industry advisory table to hear that companies are, you know, who would have thought somebody with a hearing impairment could be employed within, you know, processing facility and they are doing it and it's working out well. We also can look at connecting with colleges and universities for student work terms, Outcome Campus Connect, and there's incentives like 70, up to $7,500 in wage subsidies for students. I think this leads to, I think the old school was you hire somebody and they're going to stay for 10 years. We've moved away from that, of the expectation of we have a fairly fluid workforce. We don't want them coming and staying for a year, but we can no longer think that they're staying there for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. I read an interesting article actually the other day about, I can't speak to it in the US, but in Canada, the working age population is now older than ever. In 1966, there were 200 people aged 15 to 24 for every 100 Canadians that were aged 55 to 64. That's now completely flipped on its head, where in 2021, there were only 81 people aged 15 to 24 for every 100 Canadians aged 55 to 64. So I think that's kind of also an issue that's contributing to the labor shortage is just the lack of youth. I mean, there. I won't get too deep into basically why that is. Mainly external factors with inflation, rising costing, 
you know, fertility rates dropping. But do you see that too as an issue that there's just not an abundance of youth really entering the workforce and that even boomers and seniors are retiring that are deciding to come back into the workforce? Like, do you see that kind of a shift happening? That is one of our big recommendations and one that I'm happy to say that we're moving forward on. We absolutely need to have a youth engagement strategy. And, you know, that's often means getting past the parents because the parents have a negative perception about what it is to work the industry. There's a couple of things that companies can already do, and that is get involved with the local high schools when they have career awareness days. They can also look at hiring co-op students. But from an industry perspective, MPO is working with Eggscape on developing curriculum on uh, meat processing and career exploration. We're aiming to launch that in the school system for September of this year, and that will be targeted at, so this will get actually into the curriculum for ages grades 7 through to 12. The other piece is the Food Processing Specialist High Skills Major Program. It's sad to say that that program has been around for some time, and there's only five schools in Ontario that picked it up. So part of our work at MPO and with uh, Careers Now, we'll be looking at that youth engagement strategy. I think those are both really great points that you guys are talking about. I was thinking kind of the same thing is, you know, if you're talking at the recruitment level for employers, it's almost too late. Like you need to be reaching these younger generations when they're still in school and kind of grooming them almost like a major league team would have a farm system. You almost have to start grooming them at that younger age and preparing them from high school into college to go into the workforce instead of just trying to get grab them as unskilled laborers later on. Well, and I think we've focused on, and I can only speak to the meat industry, but like just about meat cutting. And it's like, there are so many other jobs that, you know, you look in the science field, or even if it doesn't end up in the in the plant, you know, you look at food science, they could be inspectors, they can be auditors, you look at communications, there's a lot more companies that are hiring their own internal marketing personnel and doing the social media pieces, we need to start talking about those more exciting positions instead of just a production perspective. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, when we speak to most people in the food industry, we're not really even talking to the the plant floor people. Usually we're dealing with the technology and the IT departments and that sort of a thing. So there are there is a whole nother world other than just, you know, what's going on on the plant floor. And it is important to point that out as well, too. Well, you can look at, uh, you know, somebody who's interested in the accounting field, right? Like there's financial officer positions within companies, uh, you name it. Well, HR is uh, a good example. You know, sadly, many small companies don't have an HR department, but there are enough large companies that those are positions that are available. Absolutely. So we touched a little bit about this earlier on, but let's talk about retaining current employees. So culture can play a huge role in employee retention. So what are some of the key areas to focus on when it comes to building a positive company culture? One of the things that we heard through our advisory table was the importance of involvement in upper management. That can start from the interview process of having a senior management person be part of that interviewing, to walking through the plant on a regular basis and acknowledging people and how is it going and actually stopping to listen. And this goes back to, we need to be good. We need to lead by examples. 
and that would follow through for from a food safety perspective as well, right? You can't get somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Look at employee recognition events. One of the things that I'm not sure back in the day, you might've been at one of our conferences where we used to recognize those that have completed the food handler training program. Sure, they got a certificate from Ridgetown College on completing it, but our organization also gave them one and we acknowledged them at the banquet. Like those little things, some of the courses that I'm gonna talk to you about, about Food Processing Skills Canada is offering, they provide certificates, like acknowledge when somebody has done something beyond just the expectation of the daily job. Social barbecues, unfortunately, during COVID, you know, we've lost two years of that social interaction that you used to have, you know, pizza day or, you know, even something as simple as we used to bring in a box of donuts, COVID, right? You can't have everybody's hand in a box of donuts. Those things, I'm positive that we're going to get back to those types of the small things that show a person that they're valued. There's also the ability for upskilling and careers within the organization. One of the misconceptions is that employers think that employees would not take training outside of work hours. Our survey showed that 50% of them would. To me, we get that you can't send somebody out for three weeks of training when we're already in a labor crisis. But if you offered somebody the opportunity to do some online training through Food Processing Skills Canada to up their knowledge, then you're also setting yourself up for movement within the organization. You see somebody who has potential that could have some management um, skills. Yeah, it's like you're pouring into them and you're investing in them as a person in their career development. And you know, you, like you said earlier, you can't necessarily look at employees as, you know, they're going to be around for the next decade or two decades. That might happen. But I think it's important to, you know, when you start investing in these people, then they do feel like they have somewhere to grow within the company. Because a lot of times, if they don't feel like they have somewhere to grow, then they'll look for other opportunities. And so by providing them these opportunities and investing in them and showing them that they're valuable, I think that that's giving them incentive to want to stick around and see how far they can grow within the organization. You raised an interesting point because if people are leaving, it's difficult to do an exit interview, but why are they leaving the company and going somewhere else? If we're, you need to learn from that type of information. The other would be at the beginning, a good onboarding program is essential today. Studies show that if you can invest in that first three months, the chances of that person staying are far greater. And I think there is a lot of work to be done on what an onboarding program should look like. It's not about telling the person in three months, I want you to be here. It's about what they can expect from you as an employer, what tools they're going to give you to do your job, what support they need from you. If we invest in retention, we wouldn't have to spend so much money on recruitment. I've seen firsthand how, you know, the onboarding process plays a major role in, like you said, retaining those employees for the long term, but not even the long term. I've seen people walk out, you know, they, they come into an organization, there's no onboarding process and they walk out the door within the first couple of months. Whereas when you see somebody who successfully goes through a really good onboarding process, they feel like they become part of the team and the family and they kind of get brought into that culture. And I think that, like you said, it helps them understand the expectation of the role, helps them understand the industry, helps them understand where they fit in that and then where the future is 
for them in that. And it helps them kind of visualize that and see it firsthand. And I think that's where, you know, it's hard. I get these companies are just trying to get production out the door, but we do have to stop and look at these processes and improve upon them. And if there's training available, which there is within online training through Food Processing Skills Canada, you need to take those courses about learning how to do a proper onboarding. And through our advisory table, it was really great to see the sharing of information. And that is going forward, really want to do a lot more of that. We know now that that concern about somebody stealing your employees and not investing in them, they're going to go anyway. They can go to another sector. So why don't we collectively talk about showcasing an industry as a better place to work and let's start developing some practices to actually demonstrate that. So kind of segueing off of that, how can the industry as a whole do a better job of promoting meat industry careers? I think we've touched on that. An industry as a whole, we need to move away from starting with a cold, damp, labor-intensive place to work. And let's talk about, like, accentuate the the positive pieces. We also need to talk about that there are career advancements. I, again, going back to LinkedIn, seeing some companies posting some editorials on a person who said, you know, I started in office administration and now I'm the HR manager, right? The thing that resonates, I feel, with potential new candidates is they need to see themselves in that organization. And who better than hearing from somebody who works in it? Not the owner or the manager talking about it. You need the frontline people saying this is a good place to work. We talked about making sure that the job posting does actually match that expectation of when the employee shows up at the first day. So Lori, what should our audience take away from this episode? I'm going to say we don't need any more studies. No more reports done. We need to start working together and taking action. Industry, step up and get involved. Thank you, Lori, so much for joining us. It's great to hear your insight into what's going on with labor shortages in the food industry and, and how we can kind of attack that from a proactive approach. Uh, we really appreciate you being here. Thanks very much for having me.